God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. This used to be a common statement to begin the gospel, a gospel conversation with an unbeliever. Some have argued that this making this promise that we're making a promise that God does not necessarily intend to keep, to give, or, or to have a plan for a wonderful life for each person. When, when someone comes to Christ, they don't necessarily experience the wonderful life as they would have defined it before knowing Christ. What about the Muslim person who becomes a Christian and is killed because of it? What about the person who loses their friends and are ridiculed by their woke family as, and, and treated like and called a fundamentalist all because he has believed he needs to be saved from the penalty of his sin rather than celebrate it? Does this promise that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, does it mean that a person can turn around and say, that was a lie. No, I, I, I don't think it's, it is untrue that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our life in Christ. Because a person who has a saving relationship with Christ is still grateful for it, despite what they might go through. To know Christ, to grow in Christ, I would, I would say that it generally changes our whole definition of what a wonderful life really is. Uh, Hebrews 11 tells about the wonderful plan that God had in mind for some of his Old Testament saints. You can read in verses 35 through 38, some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Was this the wonderful plan for them? Well, they, they still wouldn't turn away from Christ, even though so treated. Historically, God's people have faced hard times because of our faith in Christ. When this happens, the righteousness of God's plan and his faithfulness to his character are not in question. When this happens, the question comes down to our faith in God's righteous plan for us. It is a saving, persevering faith that we are called to. So we look for a second time this morning at unstoppable faith. What is unstoppable faith? What is the unstoppable faith that Hebrews 10 Verses 36 through 39 call us to. We're called to encourage the same sort of unstoppable faith in each other. And just to look at the context again here, 
verses 22 through 25 are embodying so much of the application of these first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews. And we'll come back to revisit these when we talk about discipleship next week. But we're told, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the next verses, the verses we looked at last week and this week, they're explaining why there should be an emphasis on us encouraging one another in our confidence in the gospel, our holding fast to the confession of our hope and the stirring one another of one another toward love and good works. So the reason why we are to be about this, we've read in verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. I, I, I don't know about you, but a face reading of these verses make me stop and think, whoa, did he just say that if I walk out of here and deliberately sin, then I'm in danger of the fire of hell. Well, we got to remember, just as we looked at last week, the sin which is being warned against throughout the book of Hebrews up to this point is unbelief. Refusing to trust Christ as one's Savior. And so you could read this as, for if we go on deliberately refusing to trust in Christ as our Messiah, just as many of the readers of this letter were on the fence about, if we go on deliberately refusing to trust in Christ as our Messiah, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We talked last week about how we need to see the two options, saving faith in Christ or eternity in hell. I mean, think about a father telling his four-year-old daughter uh, about their pool in the backyard. and saying, sweetie, only go into the pool if you have an adult with you. Do not go into the pool without there being an adult with you. If she doesn't believe him and jumps into the pool all by herself, she's not going to create an alternate reality simply by her choice. She's going to drown. And here he's saying, you Jews reading this letter, don't think that you can just say, nah, I'm not going to go with Christ. I'm going to go with the sacrificial system. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. It is all in Christ. 
And the Old Testament law definitely held this expectation of fidelity toward God's plan for his people. As we read in verse 28, 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has outraged the spirit of grace. They offend the entire trinity by saying, no, I don't think Jesus is the Savior. I'm going to go back to the sacrificial system. We continue, he says, for we know him who said, the speaking of God, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Moving on to the verses we look at here this morning. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I was listening to uh, Michael Horton on the White Horse Inn uh, this past week, an excellent podcast um, I'd recommend. But, um, and he described, I appreciated this, he described that there are two rooms that we belong in. God's courtroom where he sits as judge, where any falling short of his perfect righteous standard receives a just judgment of condemnation. This is the the courtroom that Jesus warns in the Sermon on the Mount over and over again to his listeners who thought that by God's law they could achieve God's righteousness. And that's his, this is why he closes the Sermon on the Mount with saying, so be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's God's courtroom and there's God's family room. Where God is not our judge, God is our Father. Any person walking this earth who has or who has walked on this earth lives in either one of those two rooms. And we know God is our Father through God's Son, through Jesus. By, by recognizing that I could never stand in God's courtroom and live. But Jesus stood in my place and took my judgment. And offers me his to be clothed in his righteousness. And in receiving Christ as my Savior, I'm called a co-heir with Christ. I'm a part of the family. 
God is now my father. I am welcomed into the family room. We can make ourselves at home in God's family room because of Christ, because of trusting Christ as our Savior. And in order to understand what separates those who are saved and unsaved, we need to look at verse 39 just as we did last week and see the key factor, the factor of saving, persevering faith. What divides a person from being in danger of deliberately sinning by rejecting Christ and therefore facing judgment is what he says here in verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The term here, destroyed, you guys who are into the uh, Left Behind series, you'd really appreciate this word. It's called apollyon. It's also used in 2 Thessalonians, speaking of the day of the Antichrist, calling him the son of destruction, the Apollyon. The same term is also used by Jesus to describe the destiny of the majority of people that, how, that walk this earth. He says in Matthew 7 verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, that Apollyon. And those who enter by it are many. There seems to be an irony here. The person who shrinks back from faith in Christ seems to be afraid of the repercussions. As the, those Jewish people who were considering Christ as their Messiah, who were starting to align themselves with those other readers who had signed on to Christ as their Messiah completely and, and had begun a relationship with God through Christ. The, the, the person, so the irony here is the person who shrinks back from faith in Christ seems to be afraid of repercussions, but he or she ends up being destroyed in God's judgment. Yet the person who has saving faith isn't stopped by the earthly repercussions. And he or she ends up being protected in Christ from eternal judgment. Sounds like what Jesus told us in Mark 8.35. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Notice we're not told in verse 39... We're not told about those who were baptized and thus preserved their souls or those who prayed a prayer and thus preserved their souls or those who went to church and thus preserved their souls. It is those who put their faith in Christ. The key is to be of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The key factor is saving, persevering faith. True followers of Christ do not desert their faith which would lead to eternal destruction. And their lack of perseverance shows a lack of saving faith. True followers of Christ have saving faith in Christ and thus experience eternal salvation. You know, I think casinos are depressing places. Honestly, I think gambling is inherently dangerous and unwise. Um, some people are good at it, but what sort of life do they have? 
when this is their definition of fun. And I guarantee you, they don't just gamble their money. They gamble other things too. It's very hard for those who love and depend on gamblers to rely on them. The rare winners aside, most people are risking the money that they need for other things. And they, they're on their way to total financial ruin if they're relying on gambling to help them catch up. Placing our faith in Christ alone for salvation is not a gamble. It is not gambling. This is why the author can confidently state that those who do not shrink back from Christ are those who have persevering faith in Christ and will have their souls preserved. They are of those who Jesus said, all that the Father gives me, will come to me and I will raise them up on that last day. God has this way when he gives us, he kind of gives us this like glimpse into eternity past and an eternity present. And he usually says, I knew you in eternity past. I will have you in eternity present, future. And the life we live in the eternity present is that of saving, persevering faith. Using this key of understanding that saving faith is persevering faith, we can move forward. And when it comes to having unstoppable, saving, persevering faith, you can see what it looks like to live with confidence in Christ. See that in the description here of these saints in the, some, what's called the kind of their early days. But recall the, well, it's called their former days, when they, when they uh, former days of their salvation. So you could say, obviously, it's their earlier days of knowing Christ as their Savior. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So he's describing repercussions that they experienced for their saving faith. It was because, and they were comforted by, that abiding possession that they had in Christ that would last for eternity. These verses apparently reference a time when persecution was stronger for the readers than it was at this specific time. This might have been a general reference to the fact that... That, that uh, they all went through a phase of persecution after choosing to follow Christ. Uh, there really wasn't a honeymoon period, I guess. Or maybe it references um, the time when things were tougher for the Jews in general throughout the Roman Empire. It culminated in two things. One... Uh, the Jewish people at one point were exiled out of Rome. The emperor just said, I, I'm done with it. All the Jews out of Rome. And the Jewish Christians, the, the Roman officials weren't going to understand, well, but I'm not Jewish religiously. I'm, I'm a Christian. you know." And they were like, I, I don't care. You're a Jew. Get out of here. And it certainly ramped up even more 
by A.D. 70, when the Roman government was so infuriated with Jerusalem and Judea and their rebellion against the Roman authorities that they finally took siege of Jerusalem and destroyed it. But the, the Jewish believers in Christ had kind of a double whammy. Because as Jews, they were, they were persecuted, they were, they were under pressure by the Romans because they were actually treated like, they called them atheists. Why? Because they didn't worship the emperor. But on the other hand, having come to Christ as their savior, they were also being ostracized by their, by their Jewish brothers and sisters, by their Jewish family members. So they kind of had a double whammy there. And actually, with the destruction of Jerusalem, the per- which wouldn't have happened yet, I don't believe, at the time of this, the writing of this letter, the persecution against Jewish believers from their Jewish um, friends and family got, came to a monumental height because the Jews that were within Jerusalem blamed the Jewish Christians uh, for the destruction of Jerusalem. And it has to do with the fact that one of the leaders of the resistance within Jerusalem claimed to be the Messiah. And he thought, this will get me popularity. This will get people following me. And the Jewish Christians were like, we're out. Well, when Rome fell, the Jews throughout the Roman Empire began to cast, uh, cast the Jews completely out of the synagogue and just intensely persecuting them. So all of that going on. This was the life of a Jewish person coming to Christ. Comfort and pleasure are passing and temporary. Living with faith and hope bears significant and eternal fruit. Coming to the knowledge of the truth should lead us to risk what is passing and temporary for what is significant and eternal. The more worldly our culture becomes, the more God's people will be called to risk our comfort and pleasure for God's glory and his gospel. That's plain and simple. You know, the I have up here on the screen some images of some common aliens among us, right? Can't really see down below the conehead um, there with Chris Farley. But uh, you remember my favorite Martian? You know, the only way you could set him apart, I guess, is that every now and then some antennas would come up out of his head. You know, when he was communicating. I don't remember what his, what his uh, planet was. And then you got Alf in the front there, uh, which throw on a furry suit and you're an alien, right? We are strangers and aliens living amongst the people of this world. Plain and simple. We'll read in Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation by faith. Now we read on in verse 11 of Hebrews, <clears throat> verse 13 of Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles or aliens on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land in which 
from which they had gone out, thinking of like Abraham and such, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. If you live with faith in Christ for your relationship with God, God is not ashamed to be called your God. That is what we are assured of in these chapters. And the best is yet to come. With all that we have in our American way of life, it's hard to imagine losing so much of it. We need to look back on the faith of these saints and see them as our role models. Remember what we're told in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John MacArthur recently preached against transgenderism. He stated the, biblic, the true biblical statement that our maleness and our femaleness are dictated by God. But I don't know if you remember the original temptation in the garden where we were told, you can be like God. And people can actually believe that despite their chromosomes being XX or XY that they can define in autonomy whether they're a man or a woman. YouTube removed this sermon from the platform. We can demand this sort of, this end to this sort of censorship. We can point out the obvious lack of intellectual integrity of being censored in the name of open-mindedness. We can point out in the hopes that our logic, we can point these things out in the hopes that our logic can open a person's mind to their need for the gospel, showing them that their self-righteousness is a false righteousness. But we, can, but we need to be careful that we don't demand our rights for the sake of our comfort. The fact is, is that we've been told that we will be persecuted for the gospel of Christ. It's also a fact that we grow closer to Christ when we cling to him, despite what we suffer. So when it comes to having unstoppable faith, you must also see the importance of endurance in your faith in Christ. He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteousness, my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The therefore here is signifying us that this is what he wants them to take away from this discourse. Do not throw away your confidence. Remember the mixed audience that he is speaking to here. He's not speaking to a person who has a saving, persevering relationship with Christ and telling him, but it's all dependent on your endurance. It's all dependent on your confidence. That is not what he's saying here. He's speaking to those that are like, I'm not sure about this. He's saying, stick with us. 
Stick with us. The context here is he's telling them to keep the same confidence that they had in the past. And the will of God is, is that we would trust in Christ alone for our salvation. The promised result of saving, persevering faith is an eternal relationship with God. The very relationship, face to face, that we were created for. The truths quoted here from Hosea are these. God's delay in returning is relatively short. Every day is a little closer than yesterday was. And the one who will stand in righteousness before God, avoiding that courtroom, living in that family room, is the one who has saving faith in Christ. Saving faith in Christ is faith that will persevere, not shrink back. We should encourage one another to endure in our confidence in Christ as Savior and our coming King, just as He promised. You know, my uh, in laws, they're called Nani and Papa, all right? And our kids love their Nani and Papa. And uh, our girls particularly, you know, when we lived out in Rapid City, it was, you know, 12, 13-hour drive for them to come out and visit. And our girls would just cry when they were leaving. Well, uh, Micaiah's nanny uh, decided that, that um, she was going to do something for her. She knew that Micaiah loved gum. And I think I've shared this before. And she said, okay, Micaiah, I've got these packs of gum for you. And what I want you to do is whenever you think about how much you miss me and Papa, just chew one of these pieces of gum and be comforted in that. Micaiah's like, okay, you know. So, you know, they have that little nice conversation, and then we're packing things up in the car for them to go and all that, and Nani's kind of coming in, coming out, and and she goes back upstairs for something, and she kind of runs into Micaiah in the hallway, and Micaiah's sitting there with a mouthful of gum. like drooling out of her mouth. And Nani's like, for Pete's sake, Micaiah, can you wait until I go? And she's like, I miss you already. (laughs) We don't have to worry that we're going to run out of saving faith like Micaiah running out of gum. Or like Nani looking at that thinking, how long is this gum going to last you? We don't have to worry that we're going to run out of saving faith. Jesus told us that the truly saved person has a continual flow of the faith that they need. He tells us in John 7 verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The indwelling Holy Spirit continues to confirm for us continues to give us that endurance that we need in our saving, persevering faith. I want to say a word about our current culture. It may seem like it. It I'm sorry, it may not seem like it, but we are seeing increasing pressure to deny the gospel of Christ. I mentioned last week the social gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the liberation gospel, and how they all fall short of being a saving gospel. This is because they have a, such a small view of sin. 
and therefore a small view of salvation, and therefore a small view of our Savior. They have such a small view of sin and salvation that they result in a person thinking that they can save themselves with their merit. Today's woke gospels do the same thing. What is considered sin is limited to whatever the leftist political ideology is pursuing for that day. For instance, you can loot a business, but if you're doing it in the name of racial equity, it's not sin. Don't worry. You can ruin someone's reputation. You can trash them online if you're doing it in the name of sexual liberty. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't worry. You can commit fornication and sexual immorality if you're doing it in the name of discovering who you truly are. Go for it. Don't worry. There's nothing wrong with that. You can can deny the order in which God created man and woman if you're doing so in the name of aligning with your LGBTQ friends. All of these woke false gospels are sending people to hell. Not because of the things they're doing, but because of all of the unrighteousness that they are ignoring. And they are promoting themselves and those that align with them as perfectly self-righteous, good people. I remember sending a picture to my kids. You know, my texting conversation with my kids, that's my social media. I remember sending a, a screenshot of all these people running in and out of the tar- this target, carrying you know loads of stuff. And I just sarcastically put at the bottom of the picture, these are obviously good people because they're all wearing masks. D- do you see how when people attach themselves to the current culture and they wake up and they're like, okay, what's righteous today? What, what, what cause, if I follow it, will make me righteous? It is a false gospel. It is an anti-gospel. And it is dangerous. We either live in the courtroom with God as our judge, or we live in the family room with God as our father. We belong in the courtroom because of our sin. And nothing we do, especially if man is telling us this is the righteousness of the weak, nothing we do makes it so that we don't belong in that courtroom with God as our judge. Only Christ and our faith in him makes it so that we belong in his family room with God as our father. That is saving faith. You know, if I were to go off on a trip, uh, I, I think about like when I, when I went to Dallas for two weeks. That was the worst class experience of my life. God, I hate being away for two weeks. I hate being away from Kelly. You know, what would have happened if a couple days into that, Kelly went and got a divorce lawyer. And it's like, well, I don't think he's coming back. And, you know, hit the market. Obviously, Kelly isn't the type of wife that's going to run off to try to meet someone else. She'd never find anybody as good as this, right? (laughs) But instead, I'd hope that she'd look forward to our being together again when I return 
The writer of this letter to these Hebrews spoke confidently to his readers as well. He wrote about the joy that would be it would be for them when they received what it was that they were waiting for. Notice the power of focusing on eternity, the power of focusing on Christ's return that comes up a couple times here. It's given as a reminder in our passage for how we can look forward to Christ's return. Amidst the great persecution they experienced, they were reminded in verse 34, you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And the readers were encouraged to endure by being told, therefore do do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. We should be experiencing God's presence now, if we know Christ is our Savior. The indwelling Holy Spirit, as Romans 8.16 tells us, God's Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. But the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And I assure you that when Christ returns, any discomfort, any discomfort we experience for staying true to Him will disappear in the light of His glory and grace. Let's bow our heads.